Hey everyone, welcome to episode 163 of the MTG Grindcast, the landfalliest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod, that was Lee's pun that he inserted into the show notes, thank you Lee. I guess it's not even a pun, it's just a word that you put in, in place, I don't know what that is. I'm pretty excited you read it too, because I didn't know how much of the show notes you like literally read versus just spewed off muscle memory well i you know i certainly can do that off of memory but i did see it and i did it for you lee yeah we're all about landfall now apparently that is the mechanic to play in standard i mean pretty much on one exactly single card but you know we're doing it a lot at least it's happening a lot of times several times we're triggering landfall often that's why we're the landfalliest podcast now like way more than you would have thought was possible going into the format before we get into that format today we're going to talk about standard and then we're going to hit up modern even though i know like new set standard but there may not actually be that much to talk about and we've got the mana traders modern tournament coming up this weekend so we definitely want to talk about what's going on in that format which is interesting and diverse and dynamic right now especially compared to standard. Yeah, at least right now, for sure. Yeah, at this moment. Before we get into that, want to take a second to thank our patrons. We really appreciate y'all's support. It is super, super helpful. If you'd like to become a patron, join the Discord, join us for hangouts, uh, get some swag mailed to you, that would be super cool. Head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and also get access to our bonus episodes. We've come out with one, and we will be making at least once a month going forward from here and uh, they seem to be pretty positively received so I'm, I'm pretty proud of what we're doing with those yeah for sure and I'm, i'd be down to like i want to draft a bunch of zendikar i haven't drafted as much as i wanted to mm-hmm. and i would be down to just do a limited episode if you want to do that yeah i'm down I, i've drafted a reasonable amount and i'm down to spend several hours drafting to prepare so <laughs> yeah i'm i haven't drafted that much yet but i'm more than willing to just draft a bunch for sure this this format looks really good it it does seem really good which is it's so frustrating that competitive magic as it exists right now is entirely 100 percent focused on constructed the part of magic they have been utterly failing to do anything good with lately whereas almost every limited like the past five limited formats have been at like ranging from better than playable to extremely good like like they've just been kind of knocking it out of the park yeah akoria was the last draft format where i'm like wow (laughs) this is this is one i could draft for a long time yeah i mean the only thing like wrong with that one at all was like that the cycling deck sometimes happened to you but like mutate was the best limited mechanic in years i've had fun drafting every one of these limited formats i have failed to have fun in a number of these standard formats yeah my standard play is fairly limited right now do you want to just like jump into the standard as it exists right now yep yep so we have just had a rotation obviously lost a bunch of sets uh everything before throne of eldraine and so now we are throne of eldraine forward added zendikar rising and in particular we added omnath the we well we we traded omnaths right because we had an omnath in the previous format that's true that one was significantly less egregious than current omnath <laughs> yeah and this one's you know a teamer 
plus a color, plus white, mm-hmm. a downside pip. Right, but the upside is you don't have to play 20 other elementals in your deck to make this Omnath work. You just have to play lands in your deck to make this Omnath work. Well, perfect, because I typically do play lands in my decks. Mm. But Lee, how many lands do you play? Well, in the last year, I've played between 26 and 30 lands in my standard decks. All right. How many are we playing these days? A solid like thirty-one, thirty-two, I would say, is is probably the correct number in these in these decks. Yeah, I'm looking at the first place looks list. Looks like we've got twenty-eight plus a couple spike field hazards mm-hmm. as extra lands. I'm sure if I go deeper into lists, I'll find like thirty-four land versions with the different spell lands and whatnot. I, I'm pretty confident that like yeah, this winning list I think is thirty total with. The double face lands. The very but, next one I looked at, the fourth place list, is exactly 34 lands. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and I'm pretty confident that the number of lands is going to go up as the format evolves uh, and, and people just like figure out how, what is the best way to build these decks. You just take out some of the nonsense and put in more lands to just up your consistency when the rest of your deck is things that help you make land drops and things that benefit off of making land drops. Yeah, so just to like briefly summarize what this deck is, if you know this format's not even a week old yet, well, it probably will be by the time you hear this, but we're like five days in now. Yeah. This is an Omnath Locus of Creation deck. That's the new four color Omnath that does a million things all at one time. Mm-hmm. And all of them are good. Yeah, all of them are very good. The most important thing it does is it, it cycles and generates a bunch of mana the second mm-hmm. time you play a land. So you fill your deck with like ways to get lands, Lotus Cobra, Uro, sometimes Beanstalk Giant, uh, and then ways to take advantage of that mana. You know, also Beanstalk Giant, but mostly Escape to the Wilds and Genesis Ultimatum are like the huge payoff spells where you just yeah. draw five, pretty much. Each of those what cards. A, what a gain for those cards. Like Escape to the Wilds was pretty much only a Team of Adventures card in Last Standard, and Genesis Ultimatum, like... We goofed around with it in team or elementals but it wasn't really a thing and now these are the two and they're they're just kind of the perfect cards for this deck the way it works basically is you have lotus cobra as your both early mana acceleration and just like combo piece when you're casting genesis ultimatums and once you start casting genesis ultimatums you kind of don't stop from there and Escape yeah. to the Wilds is a perfect like bridge card that's kind of doing the same thing, but a little bit smaller. Well, yeah, and Escape to the Wilds is the easy one, too. Because unlike Genesis Ultimatum, like when you play your second land of Uro, you get four mana. One of each color of Uro. Yeah. So your Escape to the Wilds then only cost one mana, essentially. Mm-hmm. And your Genesis Ultimatum still cost four, because you can't spend white to cast Genesis Ultimatum. Right, right. A... a, a really common turn sequence is when you are about to make your fifth land drop you can go uro fabled passage escape to the wilds and then you're just kind of off to the races from there you have drawn a million cards and you have a thing in play already and if if you have a lotus cobra then you're really going to be doing it from there and even if you don't have an omnath yet escape to the wilds digs so deep and you don't have to... It's like light up the stage, right? You get an extra turn to use those cards while you get the additional land drops wide away. So you're pretty likely, even if you don't have Omnath, 
I may have said earlier the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you don't have Omnath, you can escape to the wilds, play your extra land, then play Omnath the next turn with a land drop that you got off Escape to the Wilds, mm -hmm. and or from your hand or whatever. It lets you conserve Fabled Passage or Evolving Wilds so much more consistently so that you get the explosive like free Omnath turn. Right. Well, I mean, Escape to the Wilds only gives you an extra land drop the turn that you cast it. It doesn't right, give you an extra yeah. land drop the next turn, but... I I, yeah, I'm sorry, I may have said that wrong. Like, you, you're allowed to... You, you only get the one land drop off of the second turn, but because you get an extra land drop, you have more ability to use, like, a Fable Passage that you reel off of Escape to the Wilds, mm -hmm. or maybe you have one in your hand that you just don't have to play anymore because you've got one off of Escape to the Wilds, so you're right. so much more likely to have the double land drop from just an Evolving Wilds effect, as opposed to, like, a literal double land drop. Yeah, yeah. And you were totally right. You know, you... I think during our set review said, hey, maybe we'll even be running like an Evolving Wilds or two to really make this work. And there's two Evolving Wilds in several of these lists because it's just too important to be able to do that. Yeah, if the payoff is good enough, you just need consistency. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, uh, and the payoff is really incredibly powerful here. This goes over the top of anything else you can be doing in Standard. And it also is really tough to attack in the normal ways we would attack a ramp deck in particular by being aggressive omnath gains so much life and you also just have uro in there which has traditionally been like the hey if you got four removal spells and uros in your deck aggro has a really hard time beating you anyways uh, this deck easily gains like 20 life over the course of a game and it also does it not on purpose like its main game plan is to generate a bunch of mana and put all these huge threats into play mm -hmm. and you're just gaining four life a turn with omnath on your way to casting genesis ultimatum like it's just something you get you're not even working for it right and and that's the real you know don't want to like cast a ton of judgment on this format or anything like that but I, I do think that that's a pretty big design flaw with these ramp cards i don't think you should incidentally gain life while ramping to something large because a natural weakness and part of like the ecosystem of magic and how this stuff works is that the ramp deck should be like pretty bummed when its opponent plays a red mana a creature for one red mana on turn one like that's really important for keeping the ramp decks in check and these decks are just like naturally insulated against that certainly doesn't hurt that they all play like removal spell lands, whether it be Spike Phil Hazard or uh, Shatter Skull Smashing, mm -hmm. both removal spells as lands. So you get like free removals that way too. Plus, you're gaining a bunch of life. It just makes it really difficult to like um, start getting an offense against these decks unless you're coming out of the gates really fast. Yeah, and I mean, and they're encouraged to play some amount of actual removal because of the mirror, because you have to kill their Lotus Cobra if they play it first. And so that's why we see, like, in this, you know, we're looking at the standard challenge lists, and we see this winning list has, like, two Fire Prophecies and four Thundering Rebukes, which are pretty weird cards to have in a ramp deck. Thundering Rebuke is the four damage to target creature or planeswalker sorcery from Zendikar Rising. Kind of weird cards to have in a ramp deck, but they are clearly put in there for the mirror in order to kill Lotus Cobra and in order to kill Omnath because if you're on the draw and you have the same hand as them you will die if you're just trying to ramp at the same speed 
yeah so it's that is a cool part like i i think the mirrors of this deck are pretty neat and interactive sometimes mm-hmm. uh but when one player gets ahead it's really difficult to come back because it's, you're just you far outpace them at that point yeah i mean the first genesis ultimatum is just so snowbally. like you just keep going from there these turns where you have a lotus cover in play and then genesis ultimatum are completely ridiculous yeah and the have you seen i think there's a screenshot that was shared i think it was from reddit might have been twitter but someone had like two swamps and a pathway in play and the other player had an omnath Lotus cobra terror of the peaks a Kenra, just like all these cards on turn four it's just like are we in the same format what's going on right well you you just storm off like genesis ultimatum should not be generating mana but uh, there's a lot i've seen a lot of genesis ultimatums that put back mana in the pool like enough to cast another gen like you just keep going you don't stop yeah here's my lotus cobra and my new omnath and some lands and oh look we're at six mana and <laughs> and and that's the whole point of the the terror of the peaks in these lists or kenrith or rada and fling or whatever they're different packages or individual cards that you can put in in order to give yourself a shot at dealing 20 the turn that you start genesis ultimatuming because they're if your opponent has the terror of the peaks plan and you do not and you genesis ultimatum to like put a bunch of stuff into play they might genesis ultimatum to put a bunch of damage to your face and you're not going to win that game yeah Uh, omnath is very present i, I want to touch briefly i don't really want to speculate on it too much but wizards did announce a statement a couple hours before we were recording this podcast mm-hmm. that they were looking at standard right now and they're going to release a statement on monday addressing something like the the tweet was pretty vague yeah uh, it didn't say that they're going to be any bans or anything like that so it seems from reading that twitter statement that they're aware that there's some hubbub in the community about this on math stuff. And I'm interested to see what that statement says. Yes. I don't think that it will say what I want it to say, which is going to, I want to hear something that goes well beyond like, okay, guys, sorry, the standard is bad again. We'll fix it by banning some cards. I want to hear what the soul searching that's happening at wizards like what it is what's being done because the fix for this is not banning cards in standard now because something else is going to come out in the next set that's just completely egregious and runs over everything else and i i don't know like obviously maybe we solve this maybe we start main decking mystical disputes and that actually like does enough to push this to like being a deck instead of like the only thing that you can reasonably do i i I don't know that that's necessarily you know this isn't a done deal where the set isn't even out in paper yet but the things that this deck is doing are things that you really shouldn't be able to do like it's you know it's a ramp deck that has built in protection against aggressive decks because it has so much life gain and built-in protection against uh, interaction. Like, you need to interact. You need to kill the Lotus Cobra and stuff. 
But if you do that, then you just like run into like, oh, I traded a bunch of cards with them and now they're making Uro and then that's giving them the resources they need to Genesis Ultimatum. And then whenever they cast the first Genesis Ultimatum, like it's all what everything that you did if you didn't also deal 20 damage to them, like doesn't matter anymore. So like there's a lot of problems at play here in this particular deck, but it's not a new thing, really. Like we keep yeah. seeing this over and over and over. I I think it's pretty clear at this point that design or development or whoever, R and D, they've done mm-hmm. a pretty bad job yeah. balancing these sets the past year, year and a half maybe. So something from that needs to change, and I don't know how they patch up these holes, but what I want from this article is I I really don't care for bans or anything like that. It's it's hard to say. Bans are rough in a lot of mm-hmm. regards. But what I want is the the Aaron Forsyth Stoneforge ban article, not the Ian Duke 2017 to 2020 ban articles. Yeah. And if you don't know what I mean by that, uh, in 2012, I think, whenever Stoneforge, Mystic, and Jace were banned, Aaron Forsyth wrote this really, really, really long piece about mm-hmm. why they were banning these cards exactly so close to their rotation, uh, how it was going to affect everything, why they decided to do it anyway. It was like really heartfelt. And anyone who hasn't read that, I would encourage to go read it. Because I'm sure if you've been playing Magic for the past year and a half, you've read a bunch of ban list articles or updates saying, you know, from Ian Duke saying, hey, this is banned. Our data says it's too much. Here's why. We're looking at stuff for the future, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're night and day contrasts. Right. And, and that's exactly what I'm asking for is I want to. And I don't need you to come up here. Like, I want to understand what went wrong. I don't need that to be like, well, you know, Andrew Brown and Michael Majors just really came here and screwed everything up. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't need to, like, point fingers at anybody. And I'd say those names because it, like, isn't those guys, obviously. Those, you know, I, I don't care, like, who is making mistakes or whatever. Everybody makes mistakes. But, like, kind of the same ones keep happening. Like, I think one... You know, one of the huge problems that I have spotted specifically is that most of these really, really egregious cards that we can't, that that just keep seeing play until they get banned. You know, there's that old idea of Muldrifters and Baneslayer Angels, how there Mm -hmm. are some permanents that get most of their value when they enter the battlefield and other permanents that get most of their value if you manage to untap with it. And, you know... The Baneslayer Angels are vulnerable to Doomblade effects. That enters the battlefield, the stuff is vulnerable to your opponent getting ahead of you on the battlefield. And so there are ways that each of these cards are, like, not that good. Or situations, at least. I think pretty much every single one of the cards that have been completely dominating standard in unhealthy ways are both. And... I think that that needs to stop very specifically. If we look at the stuff that has been way too good, Fires of Invention. The turn you cast it, you get a free spell, and then if you untap with it, you probably win the game. Wilderness Reclamation. You cast it, you untap your lands, you can do stuff with your mana, and then if you get to your turn with it, you probably win the game. Nissa. You get an activation, if you untap with it, you have a million mana and you probably win the game. Like Uro, you draw a card... And then when it comes into play, if you untap with it and start attacking, like, you can't lose. Like, it's the same story with every single one of these cards. 
and I think that it's really clear that this is one of the huge problems is they have to stop printing a four mana four four that draws a card and if you untap with it you win the game yeah that's I, I agree obviously that's why I said the problem is at heart like very clearly designed yes <laughs> like you, they can't just keep printing all this stuff <sighs> I, I I don't really want to harp on this too much because we could talk for a long, long time about all the things that have been done and bring up so many examples, but like so many other people are doing that. I don't really want to spend a lot of time on it. I just really, really hope this announcement is like substantive. Yeah. Is that a word? Am I pronouncing it right? So I think you just mean substantive. Yeah. Yeah. Substantive. That's what I want this announcement to be. It's, I only, I only know that because it is a word that very specifically gets used very often in my line of work. Exactly so i don't know if i've said it very often not not even like law but like writing appellate opinions substantive is a word that is like really important and applicable so that's that's the only reason why i had easy access to it in my brain i'm so glad to have you here chris (laughs) so i mean standard is absolutely defined by these omnath decks there are other things that you can play i think the adventures decks remain pretty powerful yeah specifically teamer adventures i've seen some different variations but the teamer adventures ones you know teamer's just the best clan in magic by a lot (laughs) it has been for like a year now the the omnath decks are just teamer decks with some white lands to cast omnath that's all they They, are they finally forced found a way to make us make white mana in our decks and that's to make (laughs) the next broken card just like (laughs) just put a white pip in that cost well, I referenced it earlier. I, I call them downside pips because, yep. you know, you have to play these cards like Teferi Time Leveler or Dream Trawler or Omnath, and you're just like, well, the rest of my cards are good, and I guess I'll play white for this busted card. <laughs> but yeah, Team Adventures, really, really good deck. Really hard to attack. Be- it's like the same deck. It. Cards haven't really changed from it. Does it have... Let me pull up a, a sample list. I don't think. Looks like it got 8th in the the challenge we're looking at and its new cards are just some lands like the yeah. the new double faced lands there's some term timber symbiosis and a seagate restoration and just various mana base adjustments but otherwise pretty much the same deck yeah i mean you th- those are actually a huge upgrade to the deck it's only a couple of slots but like you hate missing land drops with this deck for your first like four or so but it is also really possible to flood out so it is really nice to have those in addition to the rest of the deck. When I was playing this deck previously, you actually didn't want to miss a land drop ever. <laughs> Not sure. like the first four. You just wanted to always have a land drop because there's so much you could do with your mana because you were so flooded with cards between right. Lucky Clover, Bay of Wishes, and Edgewell Innkeeper. The it, only it's reason... just particularly a disaster if you miss early. Oh, like, for you sure. You don't have a good way of coming back. Like You're going to lose that game. And the pathways are even a little better than the Shocklands in that regard, because this de- this is a deck that didn't load up on Shocklands, even though it could play a bunch of them, mm-hmm. uh, because it wanted a bunch of basics for Beanstalk Giant. So, but it played Shocklands because, you know, Manifix isn't very important, and the Pathways are a little bit of an upgrade for that, because you get to play these untapped dual lands mm-hmm. when you need them, and your color costs aren't very intensive. Right. Yeah, Brazen Bar was the only, like, CC card in the deck. And then everything else you can just sort of, if you have one mana of each color, maybe an extra green so that you can go Heart's Desire, 
Lovestruck Beast in the same turn, then you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and it's really easy to get the double colors later in the game when you're casting those cards, thanks to uh, Fertile Footsteps with being Stuck Giant. Right, right. So, you know, I do love this deck. I think it probably has to change some in order to deal with what's going on with the Omnath decks. Like, this list in the top eight here has Ugin the Spirit Dragon main deck, which is probably a way for it to, like, try to pretend that it has a late game. I don't think that that's the answer, though. I I agree. I think Ugin's a fine card to have in your sideboard to wish for, Mm -hmm. but I would rather these main deck Ugin's just be Escape to the Wilds, like three and four. Yeah. Yeah, running less than four of that card seems egregious to me. Yeah, it's Skip to Wilds was really, really good because of Teamer Adventures. It was only good in that deck. And to cut them from your deck to play an eight-cost card that doesn't even really like combat your opponent that well because they can recover so easily, the Omnath deck, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't seem like the way to attack it. I don't know the way to attack that deck, granted, but I do know that from what I've read and seen, the Teamer Adventures, Adventures deck is really well-positioned. Right now, it's a really good deck, except it struggles against the Omnath, because it just goes so far over the top. Oh, yeah, then I would say that that means it's not that well-positioned. Like, it's certainly raw power level is quite high compared to the other decks, but that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. And unfortunately, it is actually, you know, I, I, I said maybe it needs to change some, but it's really hard to change anything in this deck. Like, a bunch of your slots are just set in stone, because you have to have the entire adventure package and that's like 30 30 cards <laughs> yeah it's you have like five flex slots or whatever you get the the escape to the wild slot and then like your two other things that you want to play right. and and uh, escape and... to the wilds is pretty close to set like the best thing that you could do generally to stop these omnath decks is find a way to main deck mystical dispute and like this isn't really a deck that can do that it's especially rough because you have Ketria Trial, which is good, but mm-hmm. there's no blue-green pathway yet. It's yeah. not in this set. And the green-blue pathway is much better than the blue-red pathway because green mana is much more important to have early in this deck. Sure. So being able to like have a bunch of those and still be able to play early Mystical Disputes is nice, but when you're trying to like have an island and some early green sources, plus a stomp for Bone Crusher, it gets like pretty difficult. Sure. Yeah. The only point of weakness for the Omnath decks that I can, like, identify that would be exploitable at all is by figuring out a way to put together some sort of main deck mystical dispute list in which, like, dispute is actively good in the deck itself as a whole. Is the the blue enchantment, I don't know all the cards particularly by heart yet, uh, Confounding Conundrum or whatever, is that card... The one that bounces lands? Yeah, is that card global? Like, if you can Team Adventures play this card with Fertile Footsteps and not have it affect them? It is not global. It's whenever a land enters battlefield under an opponent's control. So it's it won't affect Fertile Footsteps. So that's something they could try out, like, as a relatively yeah. low cost. I mean, it doesn't do anything for your plan, but maybe it sets your opponent back far enough. Maybe. I... The problem then is, like, the Omnath decks just play more Radas, so they get to get the double landfall triggers anyway, and... Right. I I don't know that that is really much of a solution. Like, I'm not excited to be doing that as my <laughs> way to stop it. Like, I would like to play a deck that as a whole is, like, happy to play against 
the ramp deck and just like from game one is like oh okay good like they played a, a the teamer triome like i know i'm ready for this like i have the stuff to beat it and uh i don't think adventures with some cards on the sideboard is quite where it, it like has that feeling for me i i would think it needs to be some sort of like flash adjacent strategy because you need to disrupt them but you need to disrupt them in a way that stops them from getting the value off of you know playing their fair plan they just have a bunch of like creatures that cantrip when they enter the battlefield <laughs> yeah that is true <laughs> yeah it, it's rough can i can i jump to talk about someone who did take a confounding what is that card called confounding conundrum i'm never going to be able to say that correctly but <laughs> uh phil helmuth got ninth place with a really spicy Yorion mid-range deck. Uh, it's just four colors, but not the Omnath four colors. It <laughs> plays... Uh, it's mostly Sultai with Elspeth Congredath and Yorion, actually. Well, it's mostly blue-black with Elspeth Conquer's death and Uro. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> so it's basically kind of a pile. I, I actually really like this deck. I think... It's got a lot of cool stuff going on for it. Like, it's got a ton of removal spells, Blood Chief's, Blood Chief's Thirst, Mythos of Nethroi, Extinction Event, Hagra Mauling, which is the uh, murder that's also a land, mm-hmm. plus Elspeth Conquer's Death, backing up with, like, Agonizing Remorse and counter spells like Neutralize and the Jwari Disruption, which is the land... Sensor land. Sensor, yeah. yeah. And it's got, even got Waker of Waves to kind of like smooth and fuel Graveyard, which is a giant Leviathan from the core set that you can pay two mana and discard from your hand to sleight of hand. There's no way to get that back. I don't see an Agadim's Awakening, but that's pretty difficult no, to do No, it just anyway. seems like one of the better ways to kind of like keep fueling Uro and also, you know, just sort of cycle through some of your stuff. Because you have kind of specific answers, so you want to dig to the right ones for the matchup. I do want to point out the like hidden synergy between the double faced cards and Oh there's there's Yorion. four Elspeth Conqueror's Death though. Elspeth Conqueror's yeah. Death can get back Waker of Waves. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. I completely forgot about that. I was looking for black cards. Yeah, yeah. so that's a that's a cute synergy. But I wanted to point out like the, the double faced cards mm-hmm. hidden synergy with Yorion is that when I was playing Yorion decks, sometimes your mana base was like pretty rough. Even though if your like ratios and stuff are correct, sometimes you just couldn't draw the right colors or enough lands or anything like that or enough spells sometimes even like it just always felt a little off playing a 80 card deck so having have some of your spells just be lands Mm -hmm. is actually a pretty big get for yorion sure yeah that makes sense it's it's pretty easy to draw like several of the spells that you draw late in the game are two mana spells just because you have raw numbers more of them so it's more possible for the distribution to like lean one way or the other and so if some of those are you know if it's land spells then you can help choose what you want a little more and this deck also plays for confounding conundrum which i imagine was probably fine uh phil ended up going four and two just Mm -hmm. missing top eight i believe eighth place also went four and two so a breakers thing yeah, and Conundrum's a little better in a Yorion deck. It's oh, just, yeah, for sure. You know, it's your Omen of the Sea kind of thing. 
Like, you would be playing Omen of the Sea otherwise, except that obviously, like, he does believe this card does something. And so, I, you know, I, I mean, he's a, he's a strong player and has many, many moto finishes to his name, so I, I would be inclined to take his word for it. I wish the format looked a lot more like this, and I hope that the sign that this deck got so close to top 8 means that there's still, you know, we're like only five days in the format. I hope there's some room to navigate through the Omnath decks and, and people find ways to build decks that can maybe effectively attack him. Like, this deck doesn't play any Mystical Disputes. And if Nalvath is such a big factor, we should probably put some in, you know? Right. I, I'm kind of surprised to see them only in the sideboard of this list. It seems like just kind of a home run card to have in your disruptive deck. I mean, at, this, at the point this tournament was played, there was only like two days of the format so information is not complete at that point like people have a bunch of opinions from twitter and the the, uh, preview what's it called streamer showcase Mm -hmm. but not a lot of actual data like this is the first tournament we have actual data for sure yeah and we actually do see a handful of mono red decks there are two in the top eight and then a couple more pop up in the top 32 and i mean so it is possible to get under the ramp deck and Embercleave is like a big part of that obviously like even if they go off a little bit gain four life off of omnath like you can still finish them off with a solid Embercleave attack i have my doubts that that is like a consistent strategy that's actually gonna like work a lot and get you through tournaments regularly but having a, a decent one drop in a Kum Hellhound is definitely an upgrade to it, and there's definitely ways to win games. I'm just like not super excited to be trying to do this. I actually to talk about Monored just a smidgen more before we completely ignore it <laughs> because <laughs> it can't compete with like the the giant life gain stuff that we've mm-hmm. seen so far. Uh, the the second place list by Kamada Man is a lot different from the fifth place list. Like, Kamada Man's playing basically the cards you played last season, the red cards, uh, but Cargan Intimidator instead of Rimrock Rim Knight, that's the Coward's Capblock Warriors 3-1, mm-hmm. and Akum Hell Pound instead of Scorch Bitter because it attacks for two, <laughs> and then a bunch of spells plus the Embercleaves, whereas the fifth place list by Janky B just plays straight up 34 creatures and four Embercleaves. Yeah. Which I actually like a lot more because you get a lot more one drops that way so you can maximize your you know play a one drop play a two drop play a three drop Embercleave you yep yep that makes a lot of sense to me i would be okay with cutting a couple of these creatures for exactly a spike field hazard okay. because lotus cobra is the way that you will still lose with a good draw to the ramp decks and like no matter how much aggression you put into play if they go lotus cobra and then they just start doing stuff with all of their free mana like you're just gonna lose so i think that fitting these like land and lotus cobra removal splits split cards into your deck where you do have a kum hellhound so you can make so making an extra land drop or two like doesn't hurt you you have a bunch you have four tor brands so you do want to hit four you know, I, I would I think that you could probably find room to run those alongside your creatures and Embercleaves, but 
um, you know, maybe it's a little tough. Yeah, and I'm also a little worried maybe taking turn two or three if you're on the play. Mm-hmm. Like, up some portion of your turn being just reactive, killing Lotus Cobra may not end up being actually good enough. Just taking think... turn off your own clock against, like, an Uro deck. Like, I even though it's, I think it's important to kill Lotus Cobra, I don't know if that's a winning strategy either. Right. I just don't think you win the game where the Lotus Cobra stays in play very often, unless your draw is perfect and they, like, miss a little bit after making the Lotus Cobra. Like, it's just... It feels like too much to ask. I would... I really want, like, some two-drop that pings something when it comes into play. I think that would be perfect. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, that doesn't exist right now, so we just... I guess, hopefully, Spikefield Hazard makes it in. Maybe Red can maybe combat this on that thick, just off the power of Embercleave, but I do not have a lot of faith in it. No. I mean, the one thing that Mono Red has going for it is that there is no Ether Gust in the format anymore, and that card was just such a blowout because not only was it, like, fine whenever to just trade even on mana, it also made it really hard to get there and, like, mize them with Embercleave even once the game had almost slipped away. They just, like, held up either Gust and they were just completely safe. They don't have access to that anymore. And, like, either Gust really was, like, yes, it was good against everything and saw a ton of play, and it was, like, fine against the, like, in-the-ramp mirrors and stuff like that. But the deck that it really oppressed was Mono Red because it gave these, like, basically blue-green decks just a tool against them that it really shouldn't have had. It was, like, kind of a gross one, too. I, I either gusted multiple people where they attacked, put an Embercleave into play. It resolved, and I just blocked their Embercleave guy and got rid of the Embercleave. Sure. So now I, I'm up, like, three cards or whatever. Right. Which doesn't matter card quantity-wise, but now it's so much harder for them to kill me, which is the whole point of the red deck in the first place. Yep, yep. Or you get rid of the creature that the Embercleave is on and just rob all of their tempo forever, and... You know, it, it just like often ends really badly for them. But no Ether Gust anymore. It would be pretty good against these Omnath decks, but it would be even better against the Mono Red decks. So that is a thing that makes me much more inclined to try to Embercleave stuff. That's that, that it's gonna hit them most of the time. Uh, one more deck to talk about, I think, in standard. There was a. A couple soul-time mid-range decks. This is kind of the only other deck that saw multiple placements uh-huh. in this tournament. And when I say soul-time mid-range, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect, minus all of the... We just had a format that was a lot of soul-time mid-range with Nissa and stuff. So mm-hmm. it takes out a bunch of permanents and puts in a bunch of spells. <laughs> so it's more like soul-time control. It's mostly uh, an Uro deck with a ton of removal, counter magic, shark typhoon and uh hand disruption mm-hmm. right was... you're trying to stop the cards the broken cards from ever happening here you're trying to make sure that omnath doesn't come out that uro is under control i think that you are stretched pretty thin and you can interact a bunch but if they just keep making land drops and then eventually just resolve a genesis ultimatum like nothing you did mattered yeah with control decks like this it's gonna be difficult to keep something like that under control where you can just rip a draw five and you have eight Mm -hmm. of them in your deck like escape the wilds and genesis ultimatum and they're both yeah incredibly strong 
Yeah. That means you have to have contain their early stuff with hand disruption, counter spells, removal, whatever it is. You have to like contain all of their early cards and their opening seven. Yep. Then you have to get in a creature into play, and the only one you've got is Uro and a sh- or a shark token, and start attacking with them. Uro is preferable because it draws you cards. <laughs> and then you have to have like a counter spell, like a hard counter spell, a negate or a neutralize to contain the top of their deck enough time where Uro kills them. And that's really hard. Right. Honestly, I kind of miss Nissa a little bit because I Whoa, think Nissa okay. wouldn't. Podcast I think Nissa. <laughs> I think Nissa would be not actually as good in the Omnath decks, and I think it would be way better in these decks trying to kill the Omnath decks. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, maybe there's some unholy abomination deck with Omnath and Nissa. Like that seems not unlikely to be a thing. So we're this better is off. A, but Chris, you're describing the good guy with a gun argument. Yeah, I mean that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Is like what we really need is like no more nissa or omnath type cards in our standard formats and right we like it's not a good solution to bring in to want nissa back in order to beat omnath with it because then in walks somebody with two guns a nissa gun and an omnath <laughs> gun and you're like oh sh- how do i beat that i only have one gun that's too many guns <laughs> i don't know how guns work well if any if anything is accurate based on the movies i've seen the more mm-hmm. guns you have the cooler you are and probably just more powerful as a character and with swords like the guy with two swords is always like oh he's got two swords he's twice as dangerous yeah you don't you don't just carry around an extra sword if you're not going to use it that thing's heavy well and like when the hero like gets really serious and he like kills one bad guy but then he takes his sword so then he has two swords to fight all of the bad guys with at once like you know that's nissa and and that would be what nissa and omnath would be like be a disaster probably i'm not samurai enough to deal with that kind of sword play (laughs) (sighs) so anyways standard seems like a mess we'll see what happens i you know my concerns go far far deeper from the this standard being like maybe a one deck format like maybe it gets fixed maybe it doesn't we'll see what happens with it but regardless of what happens with this standard my criticisms of what has been going on in the development process are the same Uh, there's clearly a spectacular failure in design philosophy for constructed cards and constructed formats and it needs to get fixed and if it doesn't get fixed we're just going to keep dealing with this every single set well eventually we won't right because people just stop playing that is a real danger dangerous Mm -hmm. thing about banning so many cards is like, did I buy Omnaths because I thought the card was really good? No. I just didn't yeah. do that. And if people... I, I really sympathize with people who are playing like these thousand ticket moto decks in Modern with their Uros and their Omnaths. If <laughs> Omnath just gets banned in Standard, or even a Pioneer, I guess, like you just spent all that money for what? Yeah, for sure. It's horrible, and people stop playing the game because of that. And it's not good. Watsi needs to fix the root problem. They can't just patch things over with bans. No, I agree. Not forever. Yeah. Bans are a band-aid. They're not... They don't fix any of the underlying conditions that are clearly here because the problem keeps coming back. It's the the poking your finger in the dam to fix the, the leak. 
solution. Right. You didn't fix the problem. You just kind of covered it up. <laughs> Oof. Should we talk about modern some? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I like this the look of this format a lot more. <laughs> yeah, it looks much more like a magic format. Kind of. It's it's sort of just like a, a pile of decks, but that's preferable, I think. I Modern is one of those formats where if it's in a good spot, it feels like you can do a lot. And it's really cool. So we have the Champs and the Challenge, which are both tournaments from the 20th, which is right after, two days after Zendikar got onto Magic Online. Card availability, by the way, for Magic Online, super weird. Because these, for a while, these cards were only available in treasure chests. Oh my god. So you just had to open a bunch of treasure chests and you could get the cards. Ridiculous. until like you know whenever the set actually released and you could buy the packs <laughs> so i don't know when i assume the challenges and the champs were post release of the set but not a lot of a lot of the mythics like turn timber symbiosis are going to be hard to get for the people who wanted to play them yeah which may be a reason why there's not really any amulet in this thing when I really do think that amulet must be incredibly powerful right now. There, yeah, there's none in champs, right? There are no amulet decks at all, but in the right. challenge, there's one in tenth. And I think the, ch- the challenge actually has so many different decks. Like I was looking at the top eight or the, uh, the top eight of the champs is all different decks, but the challenge is the top 32 has like, 25 different decks in it. There's just so much variety. <laughs> yeah, so where do we even start with... I mean, where do we start even with talking about this format? And then where do we start with attacking it? Uh, like, attacking it seems, like, mostly impossible. The best thing you can do is, like, do the strong thing that you personally identify with and enjoy doing. Which is kind of... Like, that's kind of what Modern is supposed to be, I think. Uh, let's talk about, I guess, like, the decks you'd expect Modern to have in it. Mm-hmm. So number one is humans, not like ranked like no, humans is the best deck in modern, but for a long time humans just kind of vanished from the map. People just weren't playing it. They were playing a bunch of Uro piles and prowess decks and all that stuff. And I read a tweet on I think a couple weeks ago. Canister tweeted out in the morning when I was waking up. I don't know why people stopped playing humans. I'm gonna try it out in this challenge. And then, like, eight hours later, okay, won the challenge with humans. <laughs> and then people started playing humans again. So we see, like, a decent amount of humans. It's just, like, I don't want to call it the most popular deck in modern, even though it is. Because the most popular deck means that it had four copies in this top 32. <laughs> instead of, you know, four. Or six or seven or eight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you've got Uro pile decks still, uh, just pretty much any way you want to build them. Uro's really strong. I think it's actually in a fine place in modern because there's so much variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, like, I don't like this deck is kind of exploitable. Like that's why humans was pretty solid, is because like this main deck force of negation like value e deck with some removal spells but a bunch of counter spells as its interaction like. Humans can wail on these kinds of decks. Yeah, it's like the 2020 control deck, right? Mm. It's 
basically just a bunch of counter spells and a really good engine in itself with Uro. Yep. And you you see scapeshift decks every now and then, but those have kind of fallen off nowadays. Uh, but the Uro like mid range piles, Sultai, Bant, four color, however you want to build it, they, those still exist because Uro is just so strong. But you have to watch out now because people are definitely going to kill you. A little bummed that these don't seem to have Wilderness Reclamation very much anymore. Yeah, that's mostly a holdover. Like, Wilderness Reclamation is really good against mostly the mirror-type setups, mm-hmm. where you need to do a proactive thing and a reactive thing all at once. And you don't have a lot of time to set up that against aggressive decks, so yeah. it's kind of a liability there. And as humans came back, people just kind of cut all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the Kill You category as well, we've got, you know, classic... Prowess decks, it won the cha- the champs, actually. It was a pretty weird-looking prowess well, deck. It was an yeah, Obox that's, prowess. It's almost not a prowess deck. I, I mean, mean, it, I it call... is because it plays extra prowess guys. It plays this <laughs> coil weird. But, yeah. like, like this is an Obosh deck, so it doesn't play Metamorphos. So, which is, like, almost the defining card for prowess decks to me. It's, it's really like a burn deck that's really just trying to combine a couple of spells each turn with its its 12 one drop prowess guys i would call this fair prowess yeah manamorphos is like the busted card that your prowess opponent plays and then on turn three and then plays it again and you're like this is so much damage for free i don't like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah and, and this deck has replaced it with season pyromancer which is you know i mean not that it's a one for one replacement but this is like kind of the a centerpiece card for this deck it just to me like the different it shows the differing philosophies of the decks manamorphos just like gives you some massive explosive power on exactly one turn season pyromancer says like you're not gonna run out like you can keep drawing lightning bolts and fire bolts through the course of the game this is a four fire bolts obosh the prey piercer burn deck get extra value with your obosh you know yeah uh, what else we got here? Oh, we, classic Jund, Death Shadow decks, Gruul Midrange, aka Ponza. Pretty much all the classics are still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in various numbers. Like we said, this is very balanced. Modern, I don't know what's going on in Modern. Everyone seems to just be playing whatever they want, and nothing is winning very consistently right now. Granted, there's only two tournaments. Yeah, but it's also been, like, I haven't, I wasn't able to get my finger totally on the pulse of modern before Zendikar Rising came out. Like, this is kind of, it's it's a format in flux without its pillars, without Mox Opal and Faithless Looting to be, like, defining, like, you gotta be able to beat graveyard stuff, you gotta be able to beat artifact stuff, and we're gonna be doing that stuff pretty quickly. Like, the constraints of the format have been kind of lifted, and now it's just, like, do strong stuff hope it's good enough uh try to do it pretty quick because your opponent's going to be pretty quick about it too but like you have no idea what they're going to sit down across from you with yeah there's so many different angles of people just playing a bunch of proactive or in the case of her just like really strong reactive cards Mm -hmm. so everyone's kind of just doing their own thing and not really like look at the sideboards of these decks they're not really tuned to just have a bunch of ancient grudges or whatever in them you know Mm mm-hmm they are just got a bunch of general stuff. Yeah. This Jund Death Shadow deck has... Oh, this isn't what I was thinking of. This is... Although it does... Okay, this is neat, though. This has uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves in it as a second Death Shadow sort of thing. This is Jund Death Shadow, fifth place from the Modern Challenge. 
This is, it's really not like a Death Shadow deck like you think of these days when somebody says Death Shadow. It's more like the old aggro Death Shadow decks that got transformed into the, oh wait, like the Thoughtseize Street Wraith package is perfect in a mid-range deck. This is a mutagenic growth uh, Monastery Swift Spear aggressive like Death Shadow Zoo sort of thing. And it's playing Scourge of the Skyclaves which is the demon from Zendikar Rising, one in a black for a star star. Its power and toughness are each equal to 20, minus the highest life total among players. So it can be pretty big pretty fast, although it does cost twice as much as a Death's Shadow. But this, this deck's pretty neat. It's also a fake Luris deck. <laughs> it has four Street Wraith in it, so you can't companion in game one. <laughs> but if you board out the Street Wraiths, all of a sudden, you're a Luris deck. <laughs> so that's against Burn and Prowess, right? It's like you are now a Luris deck and you have a free lifelinker after you've traded resources with them, basically. I Yeah, and I know that's baseline good. I It probably comes in other matchups where mm-hmm. you want to get rid of Street Rates. I'm not going to be a Death Shadow expert and say I know what those are. Yeah, But it would not surprise me if the power of Luris is just going to be stronger in some matchups than the extra explosiveness of Street Wraith. Sure. I mean, in this deck you really are valuing that explosiveness really highly because you have extra death shadows in your list, basically. Although, you know, you're getting your opponent's life total down too, and you, like, probably just fetch lands and stuff are fine for getting your life total down enough that Scourge of the Skyclaves is pretty big. So that maybe street rates are not, like, extra important because of that necessarily. But, you know, this... Uh, I I would be surprised if Street Wraith came out in many matchups that didn't include like a lot of lightning bolts on the other side of the table. Yeah, sure. Uh, I want to. Can we talk about some new decks, some spicy new cards? Sure. Oh, there's also a Kum Hellhound in this deck too. This is eight cards from the new set in this one modern deck, by the way. In in like a classic shell, so it's pretty. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, All right, but, go ahead. So, first place in the challenge by cohort is a white green i don't know mm. what to call this deck it's kind of scales it's kind of spike feeder combo and it's really sweet <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a green white kind of collected company deck it's got four collective companies in it but it's got all the stuff you'd expect from like the devoted druid combo deck sans druid uh arbor elf conclave or excuse me scavenging ooze heliod ranger captain of eos spike feeder and it supplements all that stuff with Conclave Mentor, which is the 2-2 mm-hmm. for a green and a white from the core set that is a hardened scales effect, as well as extra hardened scales. This also plays Utopia Sprawl and Arbor Elf instead of actual Devoted Druid, presumably because of the better mana engine and you're not trying to do Devoted Druid combo things. Yeah. So you get to supplement your like infinite life combo deck, which... First of all, I want to like give a shout out to Coart for playing this on Magic Online. It's so annoying to do infinite <laughs> life combos on Magic Online because it your is. opponent just doesn't have to concede and you have to manually gain a bunch of life and then you have to win the game because your opponent doesn't have to concede. When I was playing a Spike Feeder deck in Modern, I just didn't test online. I just like didn't want to spend my time doing that. Zan was happy to test online. And I, like, sat and watched him manually go to, like, 150 life multiple times, and I just didn't want any 
any part of it. But one of the cool things, like one of the neat things about this deck is you have Conclave Mentor and Harden Scales to give an extra push to your creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of ways. There's some cute thing ways to put counters on your creatures. There's Scavenging Ooze and Heliod are the main ones. Uh, walking Ballista as a two of, you're pretty much always going to get with Ranger Capture to be happy to do with Ballista stuff. Hey, and the one of Turn Timber Symbiosis. <laughs> yeah. Four counters on whatever you get. Three counters. Yeah, oh, yeah, four counters. You're right. Because you get an mm-hmm. extra. Mm. Yeah. Man, that's a big spike feeder. <laughs> the fact that Symbiosis can hit Walking Ballista and like make it real is like kind of sweet. Yeah, it's a it's a value one of for sure. And there's not like a Nissa or anything to put a bunch of plus one plus one counters. Or Nissa, I don't the three mana one. I don't remember the name of. A uh, voice of Zendikar. Yeah, voice of Zendikar. It, it doesn't have cards like that. It's just using the hardened scales cards to kind of like supplement the main game plan and give it a little better beatdown push, mm-hmm. especially with Heliod. Because one of the things I disliked about the the old spike feeder combo deck is you're kind of just all in on the combo. Your creature plan wasn't very good. Right. So it's nice to see like trying to turn that into a real thing with some new cards and this person taking first with that approach is nice. Yeah, this is actually a deck that I like kind of thought about a lot. Just like different configurations. Like this was a kind of like place that my mind would often wander when i was going for runs actually because i really like both of these types of things i I played a lot of the spike feeder deck i like hardened scales and in particular like conclave mentor as a green white card that like can do stuff with both of them kind of like i i was thinking about that but every kind of configuration that i came up with it just sort of seemed like yeah this really ends up being like two halves of different decks sort of like shoved together and if you showed me this on paper without any results to back it up, I'd be like, yeah, isn't this that? Because, like, I mean, you play Hardened Scales, and then you have just a ton of cards that don't get any better with the Hardened Scales in play. Yeah, like, and, Hardened Scales of the Spike Feeder is not something to write home about, right? <laughs> right. It, like, if you have the combo, it, like, helps protect it from a Lava Dart in the graveyard. You can combo through that and stuff, which is actually kind of nice. Like, that was a big thing that was a pain in the ass before with this kind of deck, and, and you can get through that. I would like to play this deck some to see. If you just showed me this list, I would have no confidence in it whatsoever. But the fact that it has a result means, like, okay, maybe there's something there. And I think this deck could be refined mm-hmm. in a couple different regards you can like there's two oriak champions in the main deck those seem kind of weird to me they only really work with heliod they don't do anything with the hardened scales plan at all i think it's a concession to the prowess matchup which is like actually weirdly hard in this type of deck uh (laughs) you do have an infinite life combo and maybe you are set up better against them because with a scales effect it's much easier to combo off but you know like my number of burnt and forge tenders in my sideboard with the old version of this deck, like, kept going up. So I believe that is part of what's going on there. But it's, we were just talking about how everyone's playing, like, everything in Modern right now. So having two Oriok champions in the main deck, just because you're scared of the prowess matchup, it's too much, like, fear to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I would rather see some more synergy card. I I don't know what that is. I'd have to do some Scryfall searches to, like, figure out what the plus one counter cards in Modern I would actually want to play are that work with this kind of engine sure there's something here 
I just have to imagine it's like really easy to draw a bunch of air and cards that don't really work together. Like if your hand is like Hardened Scales, Utopia Sprout, Arbor Elf, Oriac Champion, like a Conclave Mentor. Like what are you doing? What what like where does that go? You know? We're relying we're probably mulliganing that hand. <laughs> right, but I mean like if that's if those are the cards yeah, that you are drawing together, then we have they, to like not have mulligans, right? That's that's kinda why I like Oriac Champion to be a, a scaleless card. Sure. So you have less holes like that. Right. And I'm sure that like Collected Company does a good job of bringing stuff together. If you have like some half of stuff that isn't like quite functioning, you company and then you grab the pieces that like turn on the pieces you have and start really going off. It's so. also pretty nice to be able to company into our scales. Like that's mm-hmm. a really cool effect to have a company into. And yeah. maybe there's something they just off bat synergy that you could like do. And I'd have to do a you know, gather research for possible most calendars on creatures with converting that cost three or less, but like there could be something there. You could play a totally different deck basically and you'd be doing ravager stuff with collected company and and that Ooh, that could be neat too yeah there's i i would like to see more of the conclave mentor company thing like that could be really cool yeah yeah this deck is definitely neat i it, it speaks to me in a lot of ways but it also like completely sits in the territory of like my brainstorm decks that was like yeah this can't possibly work right like there's no way that the pieces come together without you just like wanting to die because they missed a little bit so quick aside on that is i brainstorm a lot of decks like that where i'm just like Mm -hmm. this is not gonna work and i just don't end up ever playing them right and i like that this person basically took your notepad and like played the deck so now we know it's at least possible to win a challenge and yeah. you can work on the deck from there. And that's like a pretty cool leap of faith that I probably just wouldn't have had. Sure. No, no. And and like it is one thing to have an idea, but ideas cost nothing. Ideas are free. Everybody has a lot of them. Executing and like making something happen, even, you know, winning a challenge is not the biggest thing in the world, but it is an accomplishment and it's like not easy to do. And it's like... Like, somebody sat down, made the list, did the work, like, like absolute kudos to, for for putting the effort in and, and making it into something, for sure. I, I'm excited to see, like, something happening with this. Well, I want to talk about also a couple decks that got upgrades from the new set. Uh, the first is Spirits, which mm-hmm. got Skyclave Apparition, the one white white super fiend hunter. Yeah. Uh, it kind of just straight up replaced the deputy attention that people were playing. Makes sense. Uh, it doesn't hit you know nearly as much as deputy did, but it never gives the card back, which is huge. Right. And it's a spirit, which is great. Yeah, for I, all I think it's a ton better synergies. than deputy. Yeah. yeah it's a. It's and in, a in modern, like in modern, what do you care about hitting that it hits that deputy doesn't, or that that it doesn't hit that that deputy does? Mostly primeval titan is the only thing I can think of. Yeah, but. but usually after primeval titan resolves the game is over anyway right so it's kind of a wash there right i don't know too much about spirits i have never played the deck it is not the type of deck i enjoy playing but a lot of people are playing it now i see it over in leagues a lot this person got second with azoria spirits in the challenge 
I got third in the champs with another player, also with four sky. Oh, actually, this person didn't have any uh, apparitions at all in their deck. Oh. But the the second place from the challenge does. They're playing the full four. So there's something to this card. The other person's actually just playing Deputy of Detention, so that could be a card availability thing. Because I That's don't imagine you'd want to play Deputy before the Spirit card that does a similar effect. Right. I just don't know what we're getting with Deputy that makes it worth it for the both the removal spell vulnerability and the fact that it's not getting pumped by your eight lords. So... I, I think this is a good get for Spirits, the Apparition, but I don't think it changes the deck, really. Sure. It's basically just an upgrade to Deputy Detention. Spirits mm-hmm. is a fine tribal aggro deck, but when you're getting a 3-mana card added to your deck, mm-hmm. I guess the 3-mana creature, it's, yeah, it's not, not... transformative, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a cool pickup for Spirits, but it's not like it's going to start taking the format by storm and even beat out humans now as the most popular aggressive deck. Or either battle deck. Right. One deck that has picked up a ton in play, just from, I see it all over the place now, is Mill. Like, just Demir Mill. There are always those dedicated Mill players who, you know, rolled up with their Archive Traps and Hedron Crabs, and they're just ready to battle. (laughs) (laughs) But now, you have an extra set of Crabs... Which gives you a lot better early game. Like, you can start trying to really race. Yeah, if you were targeting your opponent with Hedron Crab, which is not where most Hedron Crabs have gone in the past, but yeah, you definitely have extra crabs now. I, someone, we were talking about this with, I think it was with Alan, but he mentioned that now you get Ruin Crab, which is just a strict upgrade over Hedron Crab because it's got three toughness. I was like, well, that doesn't really matter in modern. No one's playing. No one's playing shock, except for the firebolt guy, I guess. <laughs> those, those decks have burst lightning too, so you know, Ooh. there's there's a reasonable amount of one mana, two damage spells. But yes, it does die to lightning bolt just as easily as Hedron Crab dies to lightning bolt. But it's neat. I see. I don't know if they're. It's specific. yeah. It got tenth in the challenge. Doomwake was playing it, so like. Mm-hmm. A, a moto grinder was playing this with Luris even Luris Hedron Crab Ruin Crab, <laughs> Mizzen Corp. <laughs> All cards you can mill over and then get back with Luris. That's actually a pretty I, cool synergy. I doubt that the Luris gets cast very often. Oh, it probably doesn't get cast very often at all. You get Maddening Cacophony too, which is a new card that's the two yeah. mana Glimpse the Unthinkable, but only for eight cards, and you can pay it like a ton of mana to traumatize them. Which just never happens. Yeah, that's not real text on that no. card. But it's it's two mana for an extra Glimpse the Unthinkable. And it doesn't mm-hmm. target, which is actually huge, because one of the best cards against Mill is Leyline of Sanctity. Veil of Summer and Leyline of Sanctity. Yeah. Uh, Leyline's way better, but Rune Crab does not target either, which is also pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so, so you can you, totally You always get, get like, randomly hosed. Whenever I played against... Uh, mill previously which is no not very often at all right. but i always had like a leyline of sanctity or a witch Bane orb in my deck or sideboard and you just play one of those and they just can't beat it because they're a blue black deck <laughs> and now they have like some way around it which is pretty neat i don't think this deck is going to take anything by storm i'm not like claiming that but right. a lot of people are playing it now way more it's than i've ever seen <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it has a specific place. It's generally pretty good against most of the grindy decks, because you're just not interacting on an axis that they're prepared to do anything about, and you can take their important cards, but, you know, they'll have a couple, a handful of cards that matter, and then you just grab them with Surgical or Extirpate before they can actually leverage them against you, and then they're pretty much just done. It's also really good against Primeval Titan decks. Like, both yes. Valakut and Amulet are re- <laughs> Mill is, like, surprisingly difficult <laughs> against those decks. And it's really good against Tron, too. Tron just kind of can't beat Mill. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, there's definitely stuff that you just... I mean, this is a super polarizing matchup. It has super polarized matchups. Like, there's decks that you kind of can't lose to, and then there's decks that you kind of can't beat. Like It's, it's the can... anti-Jund. You've got Crypt Incursion to beat Burn... But you don't, you don't always draw your crypt incursion in time, and it doesn't always gain you enough life to actually beat them. So, and against prowess, uh, you may just be putting lava darts into their graveyard. I want to see if I can find a list of this, but it's the Belcher deck. Yeah, so so basically, it's a Belcher deck, Goblin Char Belcher, actual Goblin Char Belcher. Yes, <laughs> that plays zero lands, zero actual land cards and a bunch of modal double face land cards. Which means that for Goblin Char Belcher, you get to reveal your entire deck and kill your opponent because you don't have a land in your deck. Yep. It also has some... And it plays like just a bunch of rituals in order to get Char Belcher or Iron Crag feet off. If you ritual into an Iron Crag feet, you get seven mana, which is enough to play exactly Char Belcher enough. and Belch. Yep. And what's also neat is that you these decks play Recross the Paths, which is a ramp spell from Morning Tide, uh, where you reveal the top card of your library until you hit reveal a land card. You put that card into play, then you put all the cards that you revealed on the bottom of your library, and then you clash. We didn't forget about the clash text. That's not <laughs> relevant for this discussion. It, but winning the clash is important to show dominance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you can. Wait, what does it do? It returns recross the paths to your hand. Yeah, it goes back to your hand. Right, so you can stack your deck again. But the text of the recross the paths in a zero land deck is stack, stack your, your deck. deck. Yeah, reveal your deck and then stack it. Three mana scry 60. Yeah, and then you get to... Wow, well, yeah, that's really good text. But you get to just stack your deck. So with a, with a cantrip, you can draw Iron Crack Feet and... Manamorphos is the cantrip, of course. You can draw mm-hmm. Iron Crack Feet and Char Belcher and then just kill your opponent the next turn. Uh, it's not making waves other than the first couple days people were playing it just because it was super novel Uh, it's a belcher deck with everything that entails it's super volatile it's not very strong like it's not uh what am i I looking for it it can be consistent but it's not it's not resilient resilient. yes it's not resilient at all so it's neat but i'm not looking to play it (laughs) no and it's not it doesn't suit your play style. It, your play style is not ritual out one thing, one, one seven mana spell that kills them. Like, I don't know. I would be pretty down to just like, if we had like local tournaments or IQs, I'd just be down to play that. Sure. Mostly because I one. really want to win a clash with three cross the paths. I have no idea why. <laughs> it's just because it's so irrelevant. But I want to stack my deck and then win the clash. Let me show you this Iron Crag feat. Yeah, I, I mean... Like, the deck has some stuff going for it. It doesn't do... It doesn't interact on many normal planes. You get to main deck a bunch of Vela Summers, and 
you know, get through some of the normal kind of disruption that way. But your deck is pretty awkward. And, like, if Athalia hits the battlefield, you lose the game immediately. And Oh, it, it got ninth place in champs. Is I finally found it. Okay. So that's not horrible. And it also plays Blood Moon and Chalice of the Void for, like, extra prison stuff that you can do before you can get your combo uh in my experience that's usually not good enough <laughs> because those those are like ways to stall out the game while you kill your opponent right but yeah. if your combo is so fragile that it can be disrupted easily those cards aren't really going to do anything sure it's cute oh reforge the soul is the way that you win the turn after you recross the paths usually which yeah, is really it's cute. a it's a miracle wheel of fortune yeah. So you can put Reforge the Soul on top, then draw it and Miracle it, then draw the next seven cards, which are Rituals. Just and a bunch of Usually rituals. a Veil of Summer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just It just ends up being the perfect hand, which is like, well, I guess Veil is not that important because they'd certainly counter the Reforge of the Soul at that point. So it's, yeah. you got to have the Veil in your hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, it's not a perfect hand. And, and then combo. you go... Draw step, you know, miracle trigger, cast veil of summer. See what they do. Try to cast to reforge the soul from there. Yeah, and there's no backup plan for this. Like your best creature in your deck is gonna be a turn timbered symbiosis to simian spirit guide. It's the best you've got. <laughs> Can we not even have like an empty the warrens backup plan? Is that just not something? I feel like that would actually be a fine backup plan, but it doesn't involve casting to reforge the, or recross the paths and then reforge the soul to get enough storm to actually even do that in the first place. Well, but like if they bring in stuff to stop you, then sometimes just going like turn two ritual, metamorphose ritual, empty the warrens, like will win the game, you know? <laughs> the sideboard or does have an Undercity informant and a Thassa's Oracle. Which is a neat little combo where you, after you oh, play, <laughs> well, you play Undercity Informant and sacrifice it to mill your entire deck, and then you can cast Thassa's Oracle. The the way that you do this, it's a collected company package. So <laughs> you you recross the paths to put collected company on top of your deck, and then you company into Undercity Informer Thassa's Oracle, respond to the Thassa's Oracle trigger by sacrificing the Undercity Informer and mill your whole deck. Which is, you know, pretty cute. <laughs> it is really cute. A lot of cool, like, little cute combos. I don't... I'm not excited to, like, play with this deck anytime soon. Mm -hmm. It just seems way too fragile to me. But sure. it is, like, a really cool deck-building experiment. Yes, yes. As far as, like, an exercise in putting these cards to work. You know, I, I was impressed that that Death Shadow deck had eight cards from the new set. This... This deck has, like, 30. 24 cards from the new set. <laughs> it's, it's got a lot. Um, that's kind of all I wanted to go over with on Modern, I think. Though I will sure. call out that the 32nd place deck, Eldrazitron, had zero copies of Forsaken Monument, even in the sideboard, to get with Karn. Which, to me, is unforgivable. Is it is it even good in that deck? I think you need to be doing other stuff to make that card work in your colorless deck. Oh, I don't I don't think it's gonna be particularly good. But like, sure. Look at all these artifacts you can just cut 
and play one of this sweet new card instead. <laughs> like, do we need two Relic of Progenitus in a Graph Digger's Cage with a Tormod script? Just cut one of the Relics and just play Forsaken Monument. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, sure. Cards that are really good in graveyard matchups cut for a card that doesn't do anything in any matchup. <laughs> it's all about, you know, flexing. Why are we, We're not playing Eldrazi Tron to try and, like, win tournaments. I'm certainly not. Yeah, you got anything for modern? No, I think we can move on to our Patreon question. Yeah, sure. I have I, I wrote down two Patreon questions this time because uh, I wanted to dagger Sean. Uh huh. <laughs> yes, I see this first question. Yeah, it's very helpful. I'm sure so, lots of people will know the and will be interested in the answer to this question. Uh, mostly, I just Sean asked, "How does one achieve better tiebreaker luck?" Uh, he had a nice place this... in something else this weekend, right? Yeah, he asked this two weeks ago. <laughs> and then and he got we didn't answer after... it. <laughs> and then he got ninth on Breakers in the Bash Bros tournament this right. past weekend, which, really good job, Sean. Just showing us again a really consistent placing of ninth place. It's uh... so brutal. <laughs> I, like, how many times... It's unreal. Like, it is just, like, part of his magic identity at this point. But, like, he's clearly putting in the work, playing in these tournaments, putting him in a position to get into top eight and just losing on breakers, like, over and over and over again. It is wild. I will say the last time I remember, like, the, the ninth place meme being this strong was with uh, BBD. <laughs> and he went on to just be the world champion. So, yes, so. I'm expecting pretty good things for Sean now. <laughs> But yeah. to move on to the actual Patreon question, uh, Dube's asked, uh, what are the biggest effects of the rotation in your eyes? Uh, example, cards we lose, and what are you most excited for going forward? Yeah, so we kind of missed our window to do like a rotation episode, which is something that we like to do sometimes. I, I like to talk about, when I get the chance, the cards that are leaving, sort of the packages that are going, and the impact that that's going to have. And then I like to talk about cards that are legal, that have been legal, that are likely to get better. The window almost doesn't exist for us to do that show anymore because the full spoiler comes out. And then as soon as we do our set review episode, people immediately play a billion games on Arena in like two days. So the format exists before the set comes out. And then we lose the opportunity to do a show talking about this. But we can definitely talk about it for a Patreon question. Yeah, so the biggest effects of rotation are really, really obvious. And I feel bad saying it, but it's the mana pace. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you've listened to any other Magic podcasts, I think I've listened to two or three that have said that the mana base changing is the biggest part of rotation. And it sucks that I have to say this again. But it's just true. Yeah. It's by far the biggest part of rotation. And the deck that we see doing really well is a deck that kind of just like ignores mana base rules generally because it's playing so many lands that you, you get to play Uro in your four color deck because you just end up with so many lands in play. It's not like, oh shoot, I'm missing this. It's like, well, you got all of these lands. So you're going to be able to play them in an order that lets you cast your spells. It's also in an, it's in a good color, right? Omnath is four colors. Mm -hmm. So if you have a base three color deck, you can pick 
no matter which three colors it is, you can pick your mana base to go around that. And yeah. it's really easy in this format because Ketria Triome exists and you've got two out of three teamer uh, pathways. You have the mm-hmm. red green one and the blue red one. So it makes it really easy to build a nice teamer deck. Plus you've got the extra white pathways from, you know, the white green one or the white red one, if you want to play that. It just right. like fits really nicely. And four colors is going to have a lot of lands regardless of the exact specifications. Like if you had to play Rock Red Triome and our composition of pathways were different, like maybe you're base Jeskai instead of base Teamer and you have to do different stuff. So like four colors is in a neat spot where you're always going to have so many lands anywhere that you just get to play the ones you need to. Mm -hmm. The thing where this suffers is the decks that don't have a land right now. So any wedge is going to be fine because it's got all the triomes. But any shard is going to be less so, especially shards like Esper, where they only have a white-black land. I guess they have a blue-black land too, right? Yeah, but, and Naya is pretty good, right? Because you've got red-green, green-white, green, and white, red, white. and green-red. Yeah, and, and, and white-red. So you could definitely do some Naya stuff if you wanted to. But Bant, you've got no triome. You don't have a blue-white land or a blue-green land. Right. So you just can't play Bant. You're just... You cannot do it. All of the Shocklands rotating out makes your mana bases solely focused on the Triomes and the Pathways, which are neat for just letting you know what you can do. It's also neat that, like, some... Like you mentioned, Naya has a lot of Pathways, so it's really easy to build decks like that where you can have a pretty consistent two-color mana base and splash the third color. I know Mardu specifically is really good with this because it's got the Triome, Savai Triome, as well as two different pathways that are black and red. There's a black-red mm-hmm. one and a white-black one. So you can... There's not a black-red black one. Red one. There's a, there's a oh, black-white yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a black-white one and a red-white one. Mm-hmm. So you've got a black land and a red land that are both white sources. Plus yeah. Savai Triome makes it really easy to play Mardu without really trying to. Yeah. But in that kind of deck, you're mostly splashing white because your white sources are the back half of your main colors. Whereas if you're a white, you'd want the... Your shared color is... <laughs> this is weird to talk about. No, so your shared I color is white. Saying, yeah. yeah, your shared color in those two duels is white. So it's way easier to splash white than it is to play as a main color. Mm-hmm. Because if you're playing white as a main color... That means you're splashing both red and black or playing one of those, which is a lot more difficult. It's a lot easier to just play red, black, and splash white. Sure. Yeah, so mana base is certainly a big change. Kind of the biggest card, probably the biggest individual spell that is leaving is Aether Gust. Uh, Just a super defining two-mana interactive piece that was good against almost everything and... Like, we saw the existence of decks because of Aether Gust. The only reason, really, that the, like, black-white Yorion Doom Foretold deck was a thing was to dodge the three main deck Aether Gust decks and, like, make them draw bad cards against you. In, like, in a very real way. Yeah. <laughs> and that deck was just a beauty of deck creation, right? <laughs> it's weird because I actually think the Guilds of Ravnica to War of the Spark block was like pretty well balanced overall compared to what mm-hmm. came after it. 
I know War of the Spark got a lot of flack, but as far as the standard is concerned, it, it's really just Teferi that was a big problem. Well, Nissa was War of the oh, Spark. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nissa, you're right. Yeah, so Nissa and Teferi, awful. But Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance were pretty good overall. I don't really think... Like, losing those sets makes the format less diverse, but it doesn't make it... Whew, thank goodness, Experimental Frenzy is leaving, or... Good thing I don't have to deal with Arclight Phoenix or Niv Mizzet anymore. It's just like those right, cards because I already banned Wilderness Reclamation, so you know. Yeah, the exactly. Rest is <laughs> you know what I'm looking forward to for Standard. You know, like my favorite mechanic in that that we still have. What's that? Is mutate. <laughs> so we like. It's lose... gonna be a minute. We're gonna have to lose some stuff. I know. It's like mutate is a such a cool mechanic. And I really liked the Arboreal Grazer Butate deck for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I could play it against Wilderness Reclamation stuff, and it'd be you know somewhat okay, not great. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Gem Razor specifically. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Gem Razor. But I, I super liked like the Mutate mechanic and how it like build it on itself, and you could do like mm-hmm. really cool value stuff, but have like trade offs based on your decisions. Yeah. That was a really cool style of gameplay, and the deck was like almost there yeah and i was really hoping for the push we needed from zendikar to be like fine Mm -hmm. but it pushed a little too hard and i don't think i'm gonna get able to play some mutate cards for a little (laughs) while it doesn't really feel like it but yeah that would you imagine lotus cobra turn two then turn three mutate auspicious sterics onto it (laughs) i'm ready i want it yeah that's true if we stop using Lotus Cova for like quite that level of broken stuff that we're doing with it right now, maybe. What about you? Do you have anything you were looking forward to before all the Omnath stuff started popping up? Um, like, what were the old cards you liked? The old stuff? I don't know. I was hoping to do more enchantment y stuff. Like, I really like Calyx. I, I don't know why. But I would like, you know, it would be nice to be in a lower powered format where like that's a defensible card advantage engine to be playing. It's just not like that's not a thing you can do. I, I, I'm really glad you said that because I actually also really like Calyx. <laughs> uh, it's just like one of my favorite Planeswalkers is Tezzeret Agent of Bolas, mm-hmm. which is almost just Calyx. Because it but digs for artifacts, for yeah, it has better numbers. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's significantly better in every way because it works with yeah. artifacts instead of enchantments. Yeah. But like that's just a given based on the design philosophy of those two types, right? <laughs> yeah. But Calyx makes me wish that enchantments could be on a level of interactability as artifacts because mm-hmm. I think they're like a really cool creature type or not creature type, <laughs> permanent type. Yeah, and like I played, you know, in early like Theros standard, like I I fooled around with like a. Uh, an abzan doom foretold deck that was like pretty cool and like if we were in a lower powered format where that made sense and now there's a triome to make the mana base better and stuff to do with it and like a larger pool of decent enchantments to work with i i don't know it could be neat if like stuff like that were anywhere approaching playable but that stuff is only good if you're playing kind of normal magic where people are trying to get ahead with creatures and removal spells and interactive pieces and stuff like that and not this like like you can't beat uro decks with you know grindy doom for decks it just doesn't happen one thing i'm looking forward to for the next year 
is that they've said a couple of things that I think are pretty interesting as far as design goes. Uh, the path there were six pathways in Zendikar, which is a really weird number. We talked about that, <laughs> but they said they were going to release the next ones over the next standard year. So in Kaldheim and Strixhaven, I think is the name of the other one. Pathways are going to be in one of those two or both of those sets. We don't know which. I thought they said they were going to be in the next set. I, I don't know explicitly. I just know they're going to be... It's not going to be like a year before we get all of them. I thought it was confirmed that they were in the next set is the last thing that I had heard about it. Somebody told me that at least. I'm but. I'm fine with us playing off that. It doesn't really change my point I'm trying to make. Sure. So they're in the next set. They're in the set after that. It doesn't matter. Uh, but there are also going to be modal double-faced cards in the next sets right for different types of permanence i think probably going to be enchantments and artifacts on the other right, side of spells the way that double face cards work in order to print them you need to have a decent amount in the set basically they need to assign a slot in the booster pack to double face cards so in order to print double face lands in the set they need to have other double face stuff in there for the print runs i don't buy that argument anymore ever since they printed Nicol Bolas the Ravager, which oh. is just the only card in M20 that had that double face card treatment. Okay, you're right. I guess that's true. All right. I'm mistaken. But, but it is... Like, they have said they are doing double faced cards in the next sets. Presumably the next year of sets. And that's something I really like because I want more cohesiveness in standard mechanics. I really didn't like 2019, 2020, where we went to Throne, Coria, and Theros, and they just had all weirdly divergent themes, and you didn't really get to build on anything, which mm -hmm. ended up playing a bunch of good stuff with no real shared mechanics, which I think really hurts mechanics like, like we were talking about mutate. enchantments, yeah. or constellation, yeah, enchantments, or mutate, mutate. Yeah. where you just get to build on more set stuff throughout the mm -hmm. year, and if we're not... Like, we start in Zendikar, right? It's pretty basic themes. You, you have lands, and the tribal creature type stuff they're doing with party are pretty plain agnostic. You can you can build on that throughout the year without being like, what are all these rogues doing in the Viking plane? It's just like, N no, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, party is, I would say, has to be a hard lock in the Dungeons and Dragons set as a mechanic in there. So I think we are getting that at least a, a move back towards that cohesiveness that formerly, you know, in a long gone era of magic that blocks used to give us. And hopefully they're reclaiming a little bit of that sort of just like, it's okay to have the same mechanic in a couple of sets in standard. It's actively good, probably. Yeah, I think it's way, way easier to balance too. So that's one thing I'm really looking forward to going forward now that we know there's going to be at least shared mechanics in the next set, like the double face cards. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging to me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely hoping for the best. Yeah. I would not say that I'm going to like miss really like certainly missing my mana bases with my shock lands, but like, I'm pretty okay with seeing like pretty much everything that's rotating out of standard rotate out. Even your beloved uh, Arclay Phoenix. It just, it wasn't playable for pretty much all of Standard, <laughs> even when I did try to play it in Standard, so I, not a, not the biggest loss. I have an unpopular opinion regarding Ravnica formats, <laughs> which is I don't think they're particularly interesting. 
I think they're actively good for standard, like as a whole. I think giving good mana bases and good gold cards are very important for a just generally balanced standard environment, which mm-hmm. we saw the whole time Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance were in standard before War of the Spark came out. And the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> <laughs> but a trade-off of your theme being gold cards is just that you don't have a real theme. It's not like Invasion where colors matters or whatever. You're just 10 various different mechanics that vaguely fit into two color pairs means that no mechanic gets really any attention. You don't like build off anything. Mm. And the cards that exemplify the guilds don't really see any play. Like Niv Mizzet saw play, but it's not like an overlo- overload, right? Jumpstart? Jumpstart. That's jumpstart, one I'm right. For. Like right. it's not like it's a, a jumpstart card. card, it's just a blue red card that does blue and red things. Yeah, and then loses to Teferi and Elspeth conquers death, so So I, I don't I don't ever mourn the fact that Ravnica is leaving standard because there's very it's very rare that a card printed in a Ravnica block is something I like really care about. It's like, ooh, a generic gold card that's just good rate. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's most obvious when you look at like you know, there was a, a original Ravnica full block constructed Pro Tour. And the decks are all just four color piles of cards centered around the good four drops in the, the format. Like just lots of Loxidon Hierarchs and stuff. Just people casting the good spells at each like point on the curve, given that the lands would let you do that. And there were very few, there weren't, strategies there weren't really decks it was just cards getting smashed into each other pretty much so you know you can it gets more interesting once you add non-ravnica stuff into there once you add decks with strategies and you get stuff like ooh, standard arclight phoenix like you use some of the is it cards you use some enablers from other things you use some creatures like but yeah i i i know exactly what you're talking about so i'm not gonna be too sad about losing any particular cards from Ravnica other than just the mana base which i i love shock lands pathways i also really like though yeah yeah i'm excited fortunately we will have them all at some point so yeah that's good actually in a weird way i'm gonna miss narset a little bit i know narset is like a problem card especially in other formats but in standard it was and maybe this is like good guy with a gun territory but narset (laughs) was the best like you felt the safest against your like opposing Euro deck because it just like turned off a lot of their cards and just I know you got Gross Spiral and Euro in your hand, but like good luck with those. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure this is good guy with a gun territory. Because I Probably. I have a moment where I might have told you the story already, but I'll tell it for the podcast. Where I was playing a local tournament and at that time Narset was relatively new, like less than a month old. And I was playing Narset in my deck, my opponent was playing Narset in his deck, and we were Narsetting each other. Uh, I cleared my opponent's Narset, and I had one on the table. Uh, I, I I don't remember the exact situation, but there's a card in my hand I just couldn't play because my opponent had counter spells. So, I earlier in the game I had opted during my, my turn and just forgot their Narset was in play. So I got thought seized, and I'm like, wow. Or the, the fix at that time was you reveal your hand, and mm-hmm. your opponent picks a card, and then yeah. that gets shuffled away. 
which was really punishing for Narset stuff. Yes. And that's just crazy. But I needed to resolve the specific card in my hand. And I knew I had an Narset on the table. So at some point, I had this Narset in play for a very long time. At some point, my opponent casts some card draw effect, draws the extra card, starts doing the rest of his turn, and I realize that I have Narset in play, so the extra card shouldn't have been drawn. I, f I just forgot, because he did too. <laughs> and then I got to Thoughtseize him, and I knew that I needed to resolve my card, so I took their only counter spell. And now you know that they don't have any counter spells in hand, so it's not I, even I just, just resolved my card, card and won the game. Yeah, it was it so absurd. It smells perfect information. <laughs> And I felt really, really guilty because I didn't intend to just like let their card resolve and right. thought seize them. Because that's like Right, you would have stopped them if you had realized it before it happened. Yeah. But I didn't, and the the rules at the time was just crazy, and Narset can't I, I hated that. That moment was so bad for me. Yeah. Even though I, you know, won the game because of it, essentially. <laughs> yes. No, I, I completely agree. The I have said for a while that the prison abilities on the Planeswalkers are just not great for gameplay. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. I don't think we spent much time actually talking about Dubes' actual question, but hopefully that was helpful information, or at least interesting stuff. I mean, I talk, we talked about the base effects rotation, which is clearly mm -hmm. the lands, and <laughs> we talked you know, already about all the stuff we were missing. Yes. And... I'm not excited about anything being lost, <laughs> but I am looking forward. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to chalk this up as a win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, that's it for us for today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us online, I am at ccr underscore grindcast on Twitter. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening. And have a great week. Bye.